Over the span of two years, Sean Cassidy was charged on three separate instances for assault causing a brain injury after punching, kicking, and kneeing a man directly in his temple, fraud, unsafe storage of a firearm, and much more. How was he let off scot-free each time while maintaining his employment with the Winnipeg Police Service? Hi, hello, what is up, and welcome or welcome back to Girl You Haven't Heard, the podcast where we discuss true crime and Black Canadian history from a critical, decolonial perspective, but above all else, without all the unnecessary propaganda that others love to include, but we hate to listen to. As some of you might realize, this is a re-release of an old episode, and I will be doing that this week and possibly next week. I say possibly next week because I do have a lot of good things planned for Black History Month, but in order to make that happen, I need time to prepare. So I might be taking a week or two off from the podcast just to get everything ready for that. But this week, we are taking a deep dive into a Winnipeg police officer named Sean Cassidy, who is just the worst of the worst. So let's get into it. Sean is a sergeant with the Winnipeg Police Service and has been working with them for over 20 years, so literally longer than I've been alive. Buckle up because he is a hot mess, currently still working with them and faced no consequences for his actions. On March 27th and 28th of 2017, it was the first time that he publicly messed up quite badly and made it all across the headlines. On March 27th, he was heading home from work, which was in Winnipeg at the police headquarters, to LaSalle. Most of the police who serve the city of Winnipeg do not live in the city of Winnipeg, let alone the areas that they're responsible for patrolling, which further disconnects them from the community that they claim to serve and protect, and that disconnect cannot possibly produce anything good. Real safety comes from community, not from outside sources, coming in with a savior complex and a gun. And that's on a period. So he was heading home. He was driving his own personal car home. And he claims that he was still in his uniform and his vest, but he was wearing a jacket, which covered that. He said that he left his belt and his gun with his other weapons at work. Even though he says that he was in his uniform, he was off duty. So all of this that we're about to talk about could have been completely avoided if he literally just minded his business and went home. If he saw something sketchy, he shouldn't have done anything. He shouldn't have tried to play savior, especially because he had made a point of mentioning at the trial that would later ensue from this situation how long and tiring his day was. He said that as he was turning onto his street, he saw a truck that was parked between two mailboxes. This, to me, does not sound sketchy at all because it's a parked car. Like, cars be parking all the time. I know I ain't crazy. This is not weird to me. But Sean said that for him, it set off an internal alarm of sorts because there was a recent string of break-ins in LaSalle and there were two trucks that were connected to the break-ins, but didn't say what type of truck they were, if this was even related to a truck, just said there were two trucks and that's very vague. There's also a very big issue at this moment because he is off duty, number one, and number two, this area is not within his jurisdiction, right? It's outside of Winnipeg. So again, he shouldn't have done anything. He insisted on following the truck, got the license plate, and ran it through the Canadian Police Information Centre for any information that would come back. Only after he already crossed the line, already crossed that boundary to where there was a point of no return, he then called 911 to report the truck as suspicious, but he was placed on hold. (laughs) They were probably confused about this call and they honestly probably didn't care at all. After being placed on hold, he continued to follow the truck. Inside the truck was Kenneth James Cote, who goes by Jamie. Jamie and his friend, they were out delivering flyers for his landscaping company and they were driving in a work truck which had the name, the logo, and the website plastered all over it. So it was very clearly a work truck and anyone looking at it could have seen this and kind of figured out what was going on, but not Sean. As they were nearing the end of their route, 
They took a break to have a smoke, and that is when Jamie noticed that a van had been following them. He peeped it, right, noted what was going on, thought that it was weird, but kept it pushing because he had other things to do. It was late at night. He and his friend just wanted to go home. They were tired. Once they had pulled up to the final home, Jamie got out, he put the flyer in the door, and that is when he noticed that same van had still been following them and was now sitting near the end of the driveway that they were in. He saw this and kind of threw up his hands as if to say, like, what's going on? What's up? Why are you following us? What are you doing? He said that he got no response from the driver. Sean has not identified himself. He has not made it clear what he's doing. He hasn't asked them what they're doing. He's just being weird and following them. And at this point, the version of events split. There's Sean's version, which does not seem realistic at all in the slightest. And then there's Jamie's version, which obviously we believe Jamie because one, he's not a cop, but also two, there's video evidence to back up what he said and no video evidence to back up anything that Sean said. In Sean's version of events, the truck driver approached the car with his hands up, like Jamie said, but then says that the man, Jamie, got back in the car and drove out of LaSalle. Sean said that he continued to follow them. Jamie realized this and then made a sharp U-turn, and then he began to follow Sean. Sean said that he was freaked out and confused by this. So I am confusion. But when you were doing it, they weren't supposed to be freaked out or confused. Okay. All right. Sean then says that he put his van in reverse and tried to get away from the driver, but was unsuccessful in doing so. He then says that they took turns chasing each other. But to me, it very much seemed like Sean was intentionally trying to lure the truck back into city limits where he knew that he had jurisdiction. It seemed very intentional, very deliberate, and very methodical. He said that the two of them were going about 150 kilometers per hour. Sean acted as if all of this just happened. Like, he was so surprised that it all just happened out of nowhere. Like, he played no part in it. Like, he had absolutely no control, which all of this happened only because of him. Even in his version of events, if he is the one being chased, he's setting the speed that they're going. What's not clicking? He said that he was going super fast because he was really concerned that the truck driver had a gun. So you're worried that he has a gun, but when you were following him in the middle of nowhere, that was not a concern. Okay. But also, why would you just assume that this man has a gun? I want you to be so expeditiously, supercalifragically, expandidociously fucking for real now. Like, be fucking for real. Sean then claimed that he was chased through the rest of LaSalle, then on Highway 330, then onto the Perimeter Highway, and then eventually St. Mary's Road. Just as they passed St. Mary's Road, which is in Winnipeg, the truck bailed onto some random dirt road, turned around, and then decided to go the opposite way as if to get away from Sean and no longer follow him. So when I was reading this, I was like, okay, it'd be done there, right? No, Sean was not going to let that happen. So Sean then decided to follow the truck after the truck went the opposite way to get away from him. So then shortly after 1 a.m. on March 28th, 2017, Jamie was arrested. And the video of the arrest was captured by the Winnipeg police helicopter. How they were just all of a sudden there? Don't know. Don't know. Sean made absolutely no mention of calling the Winnipeg Police Service or dialing 911 once he was within city limits to inform them of what went down. So it just seems too convenient and too coincidental for all of a sudden a bunch of cops to be there and all of a sudden the helicopter's there as well. That's suspicious. The truck and the van then passed a parking lot where a police car was sitting. The truck then proceeded to pull onto the side of the road after the cop turned their lights on. 
The driver then jumped out and jumped back into the car when he realized that they were police. Again, this is all just according to Sean. Sean then at this point says that he got out of the car and identified himself as an officer, something he admits that he did not do before this point. And he said when opening the door and trying to pull the driver out of the truck, he saw a a brief glimpse of a metallic object in the driver's hand, which he believed to be a knife or possibly another weapon. Then he proceeded to use what he called a Winnipeg police official distraction technique, which was a punch to the left side of Jamie's face. What the fuck? How could a punch possibly be an official distraction technique? What's that distracting them from? You're punching them in the face. After he hit Jamie the first time, he then pulled him out of the truck and threw him on the ground. He says that when he threw him down, Jamie then tucked his arms underneath his body. At some point, another officer came over and together the two of them were trying to cuff him and they just couldn't do it. Jamie only has two hands. There's two men. That means four hands between the two of you. And you're telling me you couldn't handcuff one single person? It shouldn't be that hard, especially since Sean claimed that he had used one of the official distraction techniques. Jamie should have been too distracted to hide his arms. Sean says that he told the driver twice to show his hands. The driver didn't listen, so Sean then punched him again in the exact same place. He then says that he pinned the driver's shoulder to the ground using what is called a shin pin, and that is when the other officer was able to place the handcuffs on. After a search was done... It turned out that the metallic object that Sean was so worried was a weapon was a vape pen. Winnipeg police officers typically use excessive force, so this incident is not anything new. They usually will be like, oh, I thought it was a weapon, and then it turns out to be a pen, a spoon, or even a butter knife. So it's clear already that Sean's version of events is just so far off from the truth. So as I mentioned before, Jamie's perspective of everything that went down was backed up by video footage caught from multiple sources of the events. So we're going to start back to where the last flyer was dropped off and they were trying to leave LaSalle and go through it from Jamie's point of view or the truth. As they were leaving, Sean's van sped up in front of them and was swerving back and forth very dangerously on the road, putting them and everyone else at great risk. He said that this was clearly being done so that they were not able to pass him. Jamie made several attempts to pull up to the van and ask what was going on, but every time they got close, Sean would speed up and keep doing that zigzaggy thing all across the road. Sean did this all the way through LaSalle, all the way onto the highway, and all the way back into Winnipeg. While Jamie and his friend were driving, they were freaked out and they didn't know what was going on or why this was happening. They tried to flash other vehicles with their lights to get help and get someone's attention. I think they even tried to get the attention of RCMP officers at one point and nothing. They themselves were calling the police for help while also recording Sean's driving. This video was shown in court and it does verify that Sean was driving erratically. So what Sean had said about them chasing him, it was a lie. Disgusting. As they were driving down St. Mary's Road, Jamie says that he saw a police car sitting in a parking lot, so he pulled in to flag down the cop, try to get them to help tell them what was going on. He said that this is when the van pulled up behind him, Sean got out of the van, and then yelled at Jamie to put his hands up. Jamie was very confused, but he saw another police car pull in and flick the lights on, so he was like, okay, you know what, I'm gonna just listen to what they say. He put his hands up and then slowly backed away from the police towards his car. Jamie says that this is when the other police officers got out of their cars and Sean was not in uniform like the rest of them, so that's how he knew who attacked him and who assaulted him. 
Sean then grabbed Jamie by his shirt, aggressively threw him onto the ground, and handcuffed him immediately. Jamie never had an opportunity to throw his hands under his body, and he also was not able to defend himself from the blows that were about to come. He then says that he heard a stomp, 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 and all of a sudden, he was being punched, kicked, and kneed by Sean. He was punched and kicked multiple times, and he was actually kneed directly in his left temple. A blow that could have literally been fatal. It could have killed him. And Sean obviously knew this, so it seemed intentional. As Jamie was being assaulted, he kept yelling out, I am not resisting. Please stop hitting me. Please stop hitting me. Then only after Sean had gotten a bunch of hits in, an officer pulled Sean off of Jamie. Jamie was punched at least twice and kneed at least twice, but it was obviously a lot more than that due to the severity of his injuries. He had a fractured nose, a concussion, and blood began to pool in his ears after the attack. He said that his nose was so badly broken that it looked like a lightning bolt after the attack, and his face was extremely swollen. After being assaulted, they then picked Jamie up off of the ground and put him into the back of a police car while his car is being searched. Throughout this time, nobody said anything to him about if he was being arrested, if he was being detained, what was going on. No one read him his rights. No one literally said anything to him. They just picked him up, put him in the back of the police car. He had literally just got beat the hell up and then they placed him in a police car, didn't care to get him medical attention, even though he's very clearly injured. Disgusted. After the search was done, one of the uniformed officers went up to Jamie in the back of the police car and told him that if he kept his mouth shut about what went down, then they wouldn't charge him for the joint that they found within his pack of cigarettes. Oh, Lord. It's unclear if he agreed to this or not, but Jamie was then released without being charged, which even if they wanted to charge him, I'm not sure what they could have charged him for with just a single joint. But anyways, and again, they did not get him medical attention. He had to go and seek that out on his own. Because of this incident, Jamie now suffers with PTSD. His business continues to suffer. He has permanent hearing loss and he has a brain injury because of the assault. Rob, who is an officer with the Winnipeg Police Service who trains other officers specifically when it comes to high risk vehicle stops, quote unquote, which this would have been considered even though it was Sean's doing. But anyways... He said that after reviewing footage and testimony, the video doesn't show a standard stop. Yeah, no shit, Sherlock! He said what he witnessed wasn't anything that he or any other officers have ever been trained to do, which he's basically saying the official distraction technique was not in fact that at all, which anybody with two brain cells could have figured that out. But this whole situation just goes to show that if you're breathing and existing, you're simply a threat to the Winnipeg Police Service. There are very large discrepancies between Sean's version of events and Jamie's version of events. Sean constantly, as you'll see throughout the other things that we're about to discuss in a minute, he will literally always lie to justify his actions. This is a behavioral pattern that has gone unchecked. So his initial charges for this incident with Jamie were assault causing bodily harm resulting in head injuries and they were laid two years after the assault occurred. Jamie also filed a civil lawsuit against the Winnipeg Police Service and the City of Winnipeg seeking damages. He wanted compensation for past and future medical care, which sidebars so much for free health care. After literally being assaulted by a city servant, you still have to pay out of pocket. 
Now, no financial amount was specified, but Jamie's lawyer did say compensation should be substantial to offset the violation of rights and to deter Sean from doing anything like this again in the future. But Sean will find a way to be Sean. Like, this was not going to stop him from doing anything. Well, just as I thought, trash. After these charges were filed against Sean, he was demoted to desk duty and he began to work for the photo radar unit where he would go on to get in trouble there too. Which, like, how is that possible? The closing arguments were made in the trial for these charges in April of 2021. The judge was able to deliver a verdict whenever they wanted. They did not have to adhere to a specific timeline. In May of 2022, all charges against Sean were dropped after the judge said that the key factors in the prosecution's case left him with reasonable doubt about what happened that night. I'm not sure what reasonable doubt you could have based on the injuries and based on the fact that multiple videos were caught of Sean assaulting Jamie. If two plus two was four and five plus five is ten, okay. What the fuck is this? Provincial Judge Sidney Lerner said that he didn't believe most of what Sean had said, but the testimony provided by Sean's fellow police officers left him with reasonable doubt, meaning he had no choice but to acquit. So Winnipeg police officers, of course, standing up for other Winnipeg police officers. What a big surprise. Jamie spoke out shortly after the acquittal came back and he spoke about his disappointment and how he felt like the case was never set up to go in his favor, like the attorneys were never on his side. He and his attorneys are asking for the case to be reopened because this was set up to fail. It was set up to go against him and he doesn't feel like he got justice, which he absolutely did not. On January 14th, 2019, Sean was placed on leave for his pending assault charges. One of his bosses had to search his locker to take anything that he shouldn't have had once he was on leave. He went in there just expecting to find and apprehend his work gun, but instead he found Sean's personal revolver in his work locker. The gun was in fact legally registered to Sean, but he didn't have any authorization or literally any reason for keeping his personal gun in his work locker or even having it with him in any work capacity. This is a big red flag because he could have been using his own gun to intimidate, to harm other people, giving it to someone else to cause harm to somebody else, or acting as if it was someone else doing the harm. I feel like this incident was definitely downplayed the severity of it. His lawyer said that he had brought the gun to work after a rise in theft in his own area outside of Winnipeg. He said that Sean believed that it would be safer at work than in a drawer in his home. So then why don't you keep it in a safe like everybody else has to do who owns a gun in Canada? His lawyer also said that the choice he made didn't put the public in danger, which debatable, and also said that there was very little chance that the gun would have ended up on the street, which also debatable. The judge in the case was given 15 letters of reference from Sean's neighbors, community members, and co-workers. So again, cops protecting cops. Disgusting! About Sean's character, how good of a person he was, and how he was just so great. Sean himself asked the court for a conditional discharge in which he would serve between 40 and 50 hours of community service, and he would not be allowed to own firearms outside of his own work weapon. His lawyers, however, would ask for an absolute discharge with no conditions because they claim that he was already extremely involved with his community and volunteered regularly at church what um child anyway so however the prosecuting attorney was more aligned with what sean was asking for because he said that sean needed to earn back a clean criminal record 
a privilege that others are never afforded or if they are afforded, it's very rarely. But why is it that police officers who know the ins and outs of the law are given these learning opportunities or these chances to prove themselves that others never get? Sean said that he is embarrassed that he did not know that bringing his personal gun to work was a bad and an illegal thing to do. You have been an officer longer than I have been alive and you didn't know this? Maybe you just shouldn't be a police officer. On August 30th of 2019, the IIU, or the Internal Investigative Unit, pressed charges against Sean and court proceedings began on October 21st of 2019. He was formally charged with unsafe storage of a firearm and possession of a restricted weapon at an unauthorized location. Sean pled guilty in 2020 to the latter of the charges and received a complete discharge with no conditions like his lawyers were pushing for. He also had to pay a fine for $103 within 14 days of the ruling being announced. And the judge said that the charge was an honest mistake that shouldn't have been made. If anybody else had brought a gun to their workplace, I feel like it wouldn't have been an honest mistake. But, okay. He said that Sean being charged, investigated, and brought to trial was punishment enough. I don't know how many more lessons this musty man would continue to get because this would not be the end of it. So in 2019, because he was demoted and put on leave, he was demoted and put on leave as a constable. He then began working as a supervisor for the photo radar unit. He and a constable named Raymond Holes were responsible for adding license plates for the Winnipeg Police Garage to the special plates list in the database. It's basically just a list of police vehicles who don't get ticketed. Like if they do get a ticket, just nothing happens with it. It's just, it's like it never existed. Kind of like Sean Cassidy's record. And I, oh. It was made extremely clear that personal vehicles do not get added to this list for any reason. On October 21st, 2019, Sean and some of the people who worked for him, he took them out for breakfast. And while they were out, he said that they were going to check some of the photo things going on with the radars. He drove everyone in his own personal vehicle because he wasn't authorized to drive a police vehicle as he wasn't allowed to carry a weapon because he was demoted. When they were driving out around, it's unclear exactly how this happened, but he was actually flashed by a man with a photo radar gun sitting in a car. He then went up to the photo radar van and was like, what's going on? And they told him like, yeah, you're about to get a ticket for $289, which was more than he had to pay for the fines in his most recent charge. Sean was really upset. He was really irate at this. And he said that he was only in his personal vehicle because he couldn't drive a police car. And had he been in a police car, then he wouldn't have received the ticket, which, yeah, we know that. And he also told them that he was just going to challenge the ticket. So basically there was no point in them giving it to him, but they were just like, there's nothing we can do. Like, sorry. It's very clear that he did all of this just to try and intimidate them into getting rid of the ticket. About an hour or two after this happened, Sean got an email of four plates that were to be added to a special plates list. Two of them, he says, didn't show up when he tried to add them and he didn't understand why. He then said that he added his own personal license plate into the database four different times throughout the day. He claims that he wanted to test the integrity of the system to see if the software would allow for his unauthorized plate to be added. No ma'am. No ma'am. No ma'am. He then says that he voided his plate from the list afterwards. But again, there's no proof of this. When this case got taken to court, 
He was asked if he had any concerns about the prior tickets and whether adding his license plate to the list would affect whether that ticket was issued to him or not. He claims that this did not even cross his mind at all. He said it would have been impossible to have a conflict because he didn't think the ticket had even entered the system yet as the incident had happened such a short time ago. Which all this does is solidify that you thought that by adding your license plate to this list that you would get off without this ticket because you didn't even think it had been added into the system. You thought you were getting ahead of the curve. The prosecuting attorney in the case said, I suggest that you entered your plates to avoid getting the ticket you knew was going to be issued to you. Sean said that that was absolutely untrue, but we know Sean's a liar. So what, he's a liar, he's gonna lie. On the same day that all of this went down, he spoke to his coworker, Raymond, and Raymond had told him that an officer had approached a photo radar unit and he told him the story as if like, we're gonna have to talk to this officer and we're gonna have to talk to our bosses because I don't know what's going on. Like all of this is so unacceptable, not knowing that the officer who did this was Sean. So Sean then interjected and told Raymond his version of events and Raymond was confused. He was like, "Mm, what? But Raymond just kind of went home. He was like, I don't really want to deal with this. It's almost the end of the day. Let me just clock out. When he went into the office the next morning, he was given a document which showed that Sean's account had entered his own license plate into the system multiple times. Nowhere saying that it had been canceled, that he had voided it like he originally said. So after receiving this, he didn't really confront Sean, but he decided to go home sick. And as he was leaving, he looked at Sean with disappointment and disgust and asked him, what were you thinking? thinking you nasty two days later on october 3rd of 2019 sean was at winnipeg police service headquarters and he said that he was there to drop off some of his old equipment one of the bosses called him into his office and his boss told him that he was being suspended without pay because of his actions like he had literally tried to intimidate people working underneath him to get him out of a ticket that they had already given him and then he tried to work the system behind the scenes on top of that so like Double homicide. At some point, the IIU got involved once again, and Sean was criminally charged in early 2020 for a third time in the past year and a half to two years. In this third incident, Sean was charged with unauthorized use of a computer, fraud, and obstruction of justice to which he pled not guilty. Sean claimed that he was never formally trained in this department, and so he was just learning as he went along, and that's all he was trying to do in this instance. There you go, bitch. He said it had nothing to do with him trying to get out of a ticket. It was all simply just a coincidence. Despite all of the evidence against him and him literally admitting to doing this, the charges were dropped in March of 2020. The judge said that his defense was implausible, but dropped the charges anyways. He said that there were inconsistencies between the witness statements that left her with doubt, so she had no choice but to acquit. She said that Sean putting his license plate on the plate list the day that he was issued a ticket is highly suspicious, but also convenient. But when considering all the evidence in the quote-unquote right context, she had doubts about his guilt. The photo radar operator and the witnesses did not testify, so only Sean's side was shared. And Sean has shown that he is a liar and he will lie to protect himself. So why would it be any different this time? As of the day that I am recording this, January 7th, 2023, to my knowledge, Sean is still very much employed with the WPS. Mm-mm-mm. Today drained me. So we have now come to the part of the podcast where I give my thoughts, my opinions, my feelings about the case. And for this one, I feel like I shared a lot of them throughout because I just couldn't help myself. The things that this man got away with and continues to get away with is disgusting. 
I also want to note that from the beginning, it's so clear for every one of these cases that his co-workers and everybody else around him is trying to figure out a way to get him off right when it happens because they know they're going to have to press charges because these things happen very publicly. They're going to have to own up to it and fess up to it, but they're going to do it in a way that still makes them look good and fake accountability. And I say fake accountability because if you charge someone, but then there's no punishment after that, then you're not really holding them accountable. And like me personally, abolitionist through and through, I don't think cops should be a thing. I don't think the carceral system should be a thing. But when we're looking at people who believe in that system and the way that they treat their own peers operating in that system versus the way that they treat everybody else, it's very telling. And it's just another reason why abolition to me is the only way to really move forward. I think it's an absolute joke that the judges were like, well, basically they're saying, yeah, we're pretty sure that he did this, but we don't think he did it in the way that you did it. And we think that there's some holes. So we're just going to loop ourselves out of it because we don't want to be those hated judges who prosecuted the cops who collect information for us and they testify in front of us every single day. They don't want to ruffle any feathers. And I feel like it's the same with the prosecuting attorney. So that's really irritating. If Sean Cassidy got off with assault, he got off with improperly storing his own personal firearm at work, which is that not common sense. You shouldn't bring your own gun to work no matter what your profession is. And then fraud, he's not going to stop. Like he's only going to escalate and escalate and escalate because he's not being held accountable for the smaller scale things that he did. And I would argue that none of these things are even small scale. But in comparison to what a lot of other Winnipeg police officers get away with like murder, this is considered quite small scale. Because he's not being held accountable for these quote unquote smaller things, he's just going to keep escalating and escalating and escalating. And it's just going to get worse. And it's just going to be harder and harder to eventually hold him accountable because he's been experiencing impunity this entire time. I think that what happened with Jamie is horrendous and I don't think that he got the justice that he deserved at all, the justice that he was seeking. I wasn't able to find out any details about his lawsuit and how that went or what the details were, if it went positively, if he got any compensation. I really do hope that he did and I hope that he's doing as well as he possibly can after an incident like this, especially because he knew that coming forward and even saying that this happened, he would be targeted. So to now have permanent physical issues, right? Like hearing problems and a brain injury and then also PTSD because of this while Sean just got off scot-free and gets to keep living as if nothing happened. It's it's horrendous and I really do feel for him. And so I hope he's doing absolutely the best that he possibly can. And I hope that his businesses are still doing okay, especially since the whole pandemic and everything. When we look at police officers in Winnipeg, they take up a huge portion of the city budget. So the fact that he was trying to wiggle and squirm his way out of a $289 ticket to me is comical, but it also just shows the greed that is instilled within officers and the entitlement because that's like a very, 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 very small portion of the amount of money that he brings in, even just on a weekly basis. So for him to be trying to fight that and go through all these hoops just to get out of it is bitch disgusting. If you like this podcast episode, then make sure to check out this playlist if you are watching on YouTube or if you are listening on your favorite streaming platform, then make sure to check out one of the many other episodes that I have up. Again, I may see you next week. And if I do not see you next week, then I will be sure to see you for Black History Month, but I will still be uploading weekly on YouTube. So if you are usually just a listener, consider going over to my YouTube channel. You can find that just by searching my name, Jada Hope, or you can just search the podcast name, Girl You Haven't Heard, and it'll come right up to see what I upload over there because those are pre-recorded videos. So again, thank you so much and I will see you when I see you.